Assalamu alaikum, my dear sisters. I hope you're well. It's Hannah here, and I want to welcome you to episode three of Her Story Inspires. Before the episode begins, I want to thank you all for your love and support over the last three weeks, and I want you to know that your love and support does not go unnoticed. Alhamdulillah, episode three was so deep, guys. Um, Michelle opened her heart with us and took us way back to her childhood days, being raised in a home where life of crime was basically a norm and so was racism and there was no religion, to her finding Islam through an abusive relationship, to going abroad to do charity work, only to come back to find that her 13-year-old daughter had left Islam, coupled with her father passing away without her having the chance to say goodbye, to having a miscarriage and then being diagnosed with MS. She shared it all, subhanAllah, so vulnerably and so openly and you know what? So courageously. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept it from her and allow her story to empower the heart of the one who needs it the most. That's it from me, guys. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Enjoy. We all have a story. A story of pain, a story of shame, guilt, sadness and grief. A story of ups and downs, highs and lows that gave birth to who you are today. That empowered you to stand tall despite how broken you felt inside. And it's this that makes you special, beautiful, strong and inspiring. Her Story Inspires is a weekly online show where women will be sharing their story of courage to leave you feeling inspired and more importantly to know that you're not alone. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, mashallah. How are you? <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I'm well. Can you hear me okay? Really good, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. No, because I've, I've got a new headpiece and I wasn't sure if it was working, so alhamdulillah. Working really well, mashallah. Um, okay, um, you ready to begin? Alhamdulillah, yep, bismillah, let's do okay. it. <laughs> Alright, mashallah. So, bismillah, wa salatu salam ala rasulillahi wa barakatuh, dearest Michelle, and to the sisters. Wa and to the sisters we have uh, today. Um, okay, so it's episode three, uh, and today we have Sister Michelle Venner. Did I spell did I say yeah. <laughs> You did, <Okay>. you did. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna practice the surname, mashallah. Um, but yeah, mashallah. So, uh, so Michelle is a revert sister from East London. Uh, she's 41 years old, and she's a mother of five children. And she's also a woman empowerment coach, which I'm really excited to kind of know more about, um, inshallah, by the end of today. But inshallah, Michelle, let's just uh, kind of just dive straight in uh, mm. to the discussion. Let's go kind of way back to Michelle as a child. Okay, that's way, way back. <laughs> Remember, I'm 41. That's way back. Okay, so Michelle was a child. So I grew up in the East End of London um in like your typical east end council estate right so there was there was me my mum my dad and my elder sister my sister is two and a half years older than me 
so it was, it was just us four and um, our dogs. As a child, I was quite, I wouldn't say shy, but certain situations which I'll go into as we go along, I became very withdrawn and I kind of, I enjoyed spending time in my bedroom. I enjoyed just shutting myself away, keeping myself to myself. Um, as I said, as I said, we'll get into that as we go along, you'll discover why. But yeah, I was kind of, I wouldn't say shy, but quite withdrawn as a child and just kept myself to myself. Mom, your dad and you and your sister. Yeah, just, uh, just, just the four of us. My dad, my dad was kind of, he was there, but he wasn't, sometimes he was physically there, but he was never emotionally there. He was like, he was there, but not there, if, if that makes sense. He would be there some days. Um, some, my, my dad was the kind of person that he would be like, we never really knew where we was with him. He'd be there maybe three or four days and then he'd vanish for weeks at a time. But even when he was there, he was never really present with us. Like he wasn't someone that we could go to or anything like that. He it was, it, there was never really a father daughter relationship. Talking about that recently um, as well, and Charlotte will go uh, into mm. that a bit. Um, so, which part of East London are you, were you brought up in? If you don't mind sharing. Um, Canning Town. Or as I, as I would say, growing up, Canningtown. <laughs> Proper East London, Canningtown. Yeah, yeah Canningtown. Um, people would be more familiar with like Plasto area or um, Stratford because of like Stratford's now become a bit more popular. But yeah, Canningtown. It was, it was kind of the rough area of East London. Okay, so how was that and like, schooling and how was that friends? It was like growing up, I didn't really have many friends. Um, I was I was bullied a lot in school. I didn't really have many friends. But the area I grew it, grew up in, as I said, it was quite a rough area of East London. And again, that played a big part in like as we go on into my story, you'll see how that played a big part in who I like who I've gone on to become. But yeah, school wise, I was. I I had a problem with listening. I had a problem with authority. I had a problem with being told what to do. But I really enjoyed learning. I just had a I had a big issue with being told or with sitting still. Really, I had a problem with sitting still and learning. I wanted to go out and explore, and I wanted to. I didn't want to learn in textbooks. I just I wanted to do my own thing. So I was kind of classed as disruptive and really naughty. But that wasn't really the case. I was just I just had a problem with being told to sit still hands-on kind of child yeah oh, that's yeah I, want, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to be more and everyone is right I've learned that with my own children now that everybody has their different styles of learning but back then I was just classed as naughty and like the troublemaker so yeah <laughs> it's not true you kind of remind me of my son as well he's very very hands-on um mm. and he's, he's my eldest so when I became he's only four so when, he, when I had him like four years ago um you know, it, then he turned one, I think when he was like one and a half, like I could just tell like he would not sit still and read a book with me. Yeah. He was just yeah. not interested. I, I had one like that. <laughs> yeah, he's just not interested. But the bit that made the difference was when I got a book where it had like sounds. And mm. that was it. After that, he just loved yeah. reading. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Our every, every child is different. It was the same with me and my sister growing up. My sister was very... Um, she was very much like the teacher's pet and 
I was classed as the complete opposite. So growing up, that had a big impact on me. Um, I was classed as because before I was born, my dad always wanted a boy. Obviously, they had my sister. They wanted a boy. My dad was desperate for a boy. So when I was born and obviously I was a girl, my dad kind of um, still treated me as if I was a boy. He was kind of rough with me and I was expected to be the same in return. I was expected to be tough and rough. And and so that's kind of how I was. That's how, how I became. But yeah, that was because he wanted a boy. He had this like high hopes of a boy. So I was kind of a disappointment. Um, okay, Shala. So what kind of led you to Islam, uh, Michelle? Like coming from that kind of background? Were you around? Because I know like obviously Canning Town now, you know, you mm. know a lot of Muslims lived there. But how was it back when you were growing up? Was, was there a large Muslim community? You know? No, not really. Not really. To be honest with you, um, there's one sister now that I see regularly and she always reminds me, a Somalian sister, she always reminds me that when I was in school, we actually got into a fight and I ripped off her hijab. Subhanallah. I didn't I wasn't surrounded by Muslims at the time. And growing up, there was no Islam. The only Islam that I knew growing up was when me and my friend, who is also now a Muslim, we used to walk past a certain mosque. And it's actually I now live at the end of the road of this mosque. And we used to steal the shoes from inside the mosque of a Jummah. We didn't know. That was the only thing we knew about Islam is that they'd leave their shoes out in the street. And we used to go in and swap all of the shoes around and take all of the shoes. And that was the only Islam we knew. We didn't know anything else. So growing up, there was no, you know, there was no religion in my life at all. I, I wasn't I wasn't raised with any religion at all. Um, if anything, I was taught like, the way of life was the life of crime. This this was the upbringing that I had. My dad was constantly in and out of prison. And um, I was taught that typical East End um, way of life, like to be rough and ready and, you know, the life of crime and all of those things were seen as a good thing, was seen as a positive thing. So there was no religious upbringing whatsoever. I found Islam because... Well, basically, I got into a relationship. One of the relationships that I got into was with this Asian man. And back then, I assumed he was a Muslim because I didn't know anything about Islam. He said that he was Muslim, so I took him to be a Muslim. But now, knowing what I know, I realized the only part of Islam was that he didn't eat pork or drink alcohol. Other than that, there was nothing else. At the time, I didn't know that. So I kind of bought all the books and I would wear the hijab and I would do all of these things to try and impress him. But obviously, because he wasn't practicing, he wasn't really impressed. But again, at the time, I didn't know because I didn't know what Islam was. So I'd, I had all so, these books. Yep. How old were you when uh, you were with this boy? Um, I was, so this was two, roughly about 2000. So 2021, 20, yeah, roughly okay. about 21. Yeah, okay. roughly about 21. So I was with him and I was doing all of these things to try and impress him. And obviously he wasn't impressed. So eventually that relationship broke down and um, I was in quite a, it was, it was a violent relationship and I was in quite a dark place at the time. And I was due to move from London to Essex and I was packing up all of my um, stuff to move house and I came across all of my books. And I can remember sitting on my kitchen floor and I was packing up these books and I just thought, you know what, let me just sit and read through them. And I read through these books and it was like for the first time, 
I felt a sense of peace in such a long time. And then slowly, slowly, I started seeing all of these signs. Like at the time, I lived opposite the XL. And back then, they used to have the big events. I can't even remember what they was called, like the discovery events every year. And I could hear all the nasheeds and I could hear all the different talks going on. And then there were other signs. I was, I was um, walking through a shopping center once and I was handed a leaflet. And when I read it, it was all about Islam. So it was like all of these signs were coming to me one after the other. And um, I can remember it was, I think, the 15th of December. And I had my Christmas tree up and all the presents were under the tree. Now, this was a little bit later. My children were now, I'd, I'd had children by then. So this was roughly 2000 and, 2005. Yeah, 2005. My children were very small. Like my daughter was a few months old. I'm sorry, 2000, the beginning of 2006. So my daughter was coming up for one and my son was like three or four. And something just told me, you know, you've got your Christmas tree up, you're about to celebrate Christmas, but is this really what you want to do? Is this really what you believe in? Do you believe in any of this anymore? I'd read the books, I felt a sense of peace, and there and then I just decided I want to become a Muslim. And I, I think I, I rang up the imam of um, Central Masjid, I think it was, and he told me, go and take a shower, and he told me what to say. And that day I put on a hijab, I put on uh, a dabaya. And I can remember calling my mom and saying to her, I'm coming to your house and you're going to be shocked. And from that day, that was it. I just I decided I was going to become a Muslim and I put on my hijab and that abaya and that was that from that day. But yeah, it came about from, yeah, I took my shahada and it came about from from a relationship that um, wasn't wasn't a great relationship. But out of that became like the start of my journey into Islam. Oh, that's quite amazing. And you're really young, right? You were like 20? How old were you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this, I was, uh, by the time I took my shahada, it was 2006. So, um, yeah, in my 20s. SubhanAllah. Um, and how did you find your first, say, like, first couple of months or year into being a Muslim? <laughs> I was hit with the biggest calamity straight away. <laughs> as soon as I became a Muslim, SubhanAllah. The following month, I, as I said, I was in the middle of a move and um, I felt really strong. You know, I'd, I started wearing the hijab straight away and I'd read all of these books about the things that I should do and the things that I shouldn't do. And I was feeling really strong. Then I moved to Essex and it was a complete different area. Michelle, right? Because when I lived great. Can you hear me now? It's perfect. Alhamdulillah. Okay, alhamdulillah. I'm not sure why that cut out. So yeah, what was I, what was I saying? <laughs> you were about to Islam, and how was your yeah. first couple of months or, or right, year? Yeah. Into Islam? So I I moved from London to Essex. Um, at at the start, when I'd first, but I think I'd been about a Muslim about two months when I moved, and um, the area that I moved to was a completely white area. Now, although I was white, obviously I'm white myself. The area was a very um, racist area. At the time, I didn't know that when I when I chose to move there. And obviously, here I am completely covered up, right? So it was it was an instant trial straight away, an instant test of my iman straight away, because it was like I was one of the only Muslims living there. And um, it was it was a very, very difficult time. I had a struggle within the first few months of Islam. I actually removed my hijab for about I think about a month, but I was so 
I was so determined to keep going that I just, I was like wearing it one day, then I wasn't wearing it, then I was, and I just, I was so determined to just keep going. And um, I decided that I needed, I needed some kind of backup. I needed an extra pair of hands on board. So I decided to get married. And um, yeah, so I decided to get married. That was, that was quite an interesting journey I, I saw my husband I'd I'd, I'd travel to East London I used to come to East London every weekend to visit my family and um, whenever I used to come to East London I used to come and buy books because obviously where I lived there was no Islamic bookshops and every time I used to come I used to see this brother standing outside the shop and I was just fascinated by the scarf that he had on his head and the twig that he had in his mouth. I didn't know at the time it was like a miswack, but I was just fascinated. Like, why has this brother got a twig in his mouth? Yeah. And obviously at the time I was a new Muslim and I kept trying to catch his attention. I was like, I would walk past and, and he kept looking down. And I used to think, what is wrong with this man? Like, why won't he look at me? What is his problem? You know, I really, really tried to capture his attention, subhanAllah. But he he wouldn't he wouldn't have it now. Obviously, I'm happy that he's like that. But at the time, I was just I wasn't impressed. So yeah, we got married, and then I think we continued to live in um, Essex for about another year, and then we moved back to East London. So it was it was much easier. What else did, uh, did you find like a challenge when you came into Islam, except for like hijab? And is there any other area of Islam that you just difficult to kind of grasp or you know what I, I I made a big mistake that a lot of reverts make and I went all in I went all in I threw away like all my photos I threw away all the, my cds and all my clothes and I I kind of just went all in right and while that can be a good thing obviously like you're giving it your all after a while you forget it's like you don't know who you are anymore because you haven't had a chance to transition from, from one way of life to another. And so you're kind of stuck in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's like you've, you've left alone the old way of life, but you haven't fully understood this new way of life, right? And so there you are in the middle. You don't know who you are. So I think the biggest challenge that I face is that I've done too much too soon. I, I tried to do everything like within within the first um, few months of moving back to London, I had the niqab on and I'd only I hadn't even been a Muslim for a year. And I had the belief that, you know, um, back then I was I was very arrogant. If, if, if I'm honest, I was very arrogant and I had the belief that I couldn't give I couldn't return the salams of sisters with no hijab on that I'd only been a Muslim like a year right hey, yeah subhanallah that? subhanallah Mich it was Michelle is that because that's how the practicing culture was like was it was it a yeah. at the time right that's it was it was the kind of group of of Muslims that I had got involved in it's like mm. a certain group within East London um mm. we don't need to name names because I'm sure most people know <laughs> But there was a certain group of Muslims that I'd got myself involved in and it was a case of, well, they're not wearing hijab, don't return the salams, you know, they're they're not they're off the manhaj, don't turn return their salams, you can't sit with them. And it was really I really, really went all in, right? Yeah. I really, really went all in. To the point where I was so boxed in that I didn't I didn't recognise myself anymore, right? I even I would I wouldn't even really communicate with my family I shut my family out because it was like no you know they're not Muslim they're 
I really was very, very strict and very, very harsh in the beginning. And so it wasn't so much of a struggle with Islam. It was my way of practicing. The way I was practicing it became a struggle for me because that is not something that you can keep up. That way of living is it's not something that you can continue long term. And so my struggle was the way that I approached being a new Muslim. And how long were you practicing that way for, uh, Michelle? Like how, was it years? Was it months? Probably about, probably about two years. Probably about two years. Were you years, kind yeah. of think, you know what, this isn't right. Like, Did something happen? Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew after a few months of being that way that it just, because it just, it wasn't me. I wasn't the type of, I'm such a, a friendly person. I like to talk to people. I like to be the one that starts conversations. So to have someone say salam alaikum to me and me ignore them, that didn't sit right with me. That, that wasn't me. But because I thought at the time that was what I had to do, I thought that was the right thing to do. I kind of stuck with it. So I was in, I had this inner conflict of like, at the time, I believe that's what Islam was. Now looking back, I realize that that's not the case. That is not what Islam teaches. But at the time, I strongly believed that that was Islam and that I was, you know, upon the truth and everybody else was astray, subhanAllah. Okay, so yeah. it, was only for, it was only for two years, right? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Then, and then, and did you find yourself after that kind of like, um, like finding Islam and going for a journey where you're finding the true Islam again or, or trying to? Uh... Well, what would happen anytime I had like, anytime I was feeling a, a bit weak in my Iman or deep in my Iman, I found that those same people pushed me out. It was like, if I wasn't perfect, then, you know, I was off the manhaj too. And I constantly found that I was being rejected. And so what I was doing to other people was being done to me. And I realized like this, this is not Islam. And so um, I started to read different kind of books and I started, I stopped attending the events that I was going to and I stopped um, associating with certain sisters. And I just kind of, found my own way I started to find my own way because at the at the time subhanAllah it was so deep I was so deep in that way of life I was even ready to divorce my husband because my husband would tell me this is not correct you know he would question me and he would say to me this what you're doing is not correct this is extreme this is not correct and I would seek advice from them and they would tell me you need to divorce him he's off the manhaj and all of these things and subhanAllah it was just it was a really crazy time so after a little while I was yeah, I started to read for myself. I started to have more conversations with my husband. And then I started to discover more about, you know, Islam and not just the, the sects, the sects of Islam. That's actually beautiful. You had your husband there, you know, to kind of guide you and show you that in itself so kind of a blessing from Allah. Um, and alhamdulillah, it seems like you, you know, like, like, like you had, you know, like Allah was kind of there guiding you, you know, mm. um, the fact that he didn't even sit right with you, like deep down inside, yeah. like, you know, that like it's not sitting right with you. Um, yeah. And you can kind of ignore that, but it's going to come to a point where like, you know Absolutely. what, I just face this for what it is. Like, yeah. You know? um, yeah. And that was, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. SubhanAllah. Um, okay. SubhanAllah. So you became practicing and uh, you married your husband, alhamdulillah. Um, so like, what happened after that? Did anything else happen in your life after that, Michelle? Um, okay, so me and my husband, we um, we set up. We set up like there's there's been a few different trials and tribulations over the years. I've been faced with trial after trial. Um, 
one of the biggest ones was I'd say well fast forward now to 2017 yeah 2000 no two, 2017 so when I going back when I was in the relationship with that Asian guy yeah. my dad my dad disowned me right remember I said my family were I grew up in a proper racist area my family were racist when I was in the relationship with that Asian guy my dad completely disowned me I wasn't his daughter anymore I wasn't nobody was even allowed to mention my name in his house it was like that deep right yeah. so then when um uh yeah so I got with this Asian guy he disowned me then in 2017 I I was pregnant and um so let me just go back a second because I, I need you to understand the way my mind was working so as a child as I said my dad was very rough right my dad was very tough and I was expected to be the same on the flip side of that my mum was the opposite my mum was very soft my mum was very gentle my mum was very hard working and so I kind of had this inner conflict going on because because my dad used to withdraw love from us, I used to crave it, right? I used to crave my dad's love. The more he would withdraw it, I would crave it more. And so even though I was this soft, gentle person, to please my dad, I used to pretend that I was really tough and rough. And this kind of stuck with me throughout yeah. all of my years, subhanAllah. Yeah. Yeah. And then 2017, um, I found out I was pregnant. And I went to the hospital for my 12 week scan and there was this um male sonographer and as cold i was there by myself because my husband had to go to work or for some reason he wasn't there and this male sonographer just said to me i was laying there looking at the screen he just said nope sorry baby's dead that's how he dropped it right 12 week scan i'm just there by myself and he just said nope sorry baby's dead as cold as anything Wow. Now, subhanallah, like, subhanallah. I'm, I'm this person now, by that time, this is 2017, by this time, I've lived my whole life with this kind of split personality. I needed to be tough. I needed to be like this East End girl. That's what I'd always been told. You're this East End girl. You're, you know, you're Michelle from the East End. You don't take crap from no one, right? So I had this tough side of me that was like, okay, this is, this is cool. I can handle this. But then obviously, you know, I'm human. I have, I have feelings. I have emotions, right? So there was a part of me that just wanted to break down, but I couldn't. I held it in. So, so that was on the Tuesday. The following day, I was due to go back to the hospital so they could perform a procedure. And I started to hemorrhage really, really badly. The, the ambulance was called and time the ambulance had reached i'd lost like two liters of blood i was like really really it was oh. like serious they rushed me to the hospital with like blue lights the sirens and everything so i had to have an operation everything was done um so that was the day after i'd had the miscarriage the following day i went home still with this mentality of i need to be tough i can handle this right i'm i'm this tough person yeah the following day i got a phone call it was my mum. She said, I know you won't care. I know you're not bothered, but your dad's dead. SubhanAllah. Like, and all I could think of is, what, what do you mean I won't care? Why do you think I don't care? Right? Why, why do you think I wouldn't be bothered? 
And subhanAllah, it was kind of in that moment that I realized that I'd lived my whole life putting on this huge front of I don't care about nothing. I don't care about anyone. Like, no one can hurt me kind of thing. It was in that moment. And it was it was kind of ironic that it was when my dad died that I was able to recognize that and let that go. It was almost as if when he went, that part of me went with him. That tough part of me went with him, subhanAllah. And so then I was able to, I was able to, it was difficult, it was very challenging for me, but I was able to kind of grieve and I was able to bring out the soft side of me a little bit more. Still to this day, I find it tough. I'm not going to lie, still to this day, I still have this like, I almost it's like my defense it's a barrier that i put up that i need to be tough and it, it, it still it still affects me to this day even in my own marriage right yeah. but yeah, yeah. yeah it would i'm just gonna read the comments michelle um so aisha's saying subhanallah can't believe that's how the news was broken to you i mean yeah. i can't believe it as well uh, doctors especially should be more compassionate yeah uh, big hugs and love sister you're a beautiful strong lady oh that must have uh, been tough um, yeah, subhanAllah. I actually can't believe the way the doctor yeah. broke down the news It was an you. African man. It was an African man. My <laughs> husband said afterwards, like, that's that's just, that's how they are. Like, in Africa, that's just how they are as well. And I was like, okay, but I'm not in Africa, yeah. you know. Yeah. I expected it a bit different, but... I know, yeah. subhanAllah. Yeah, he was, he was just so cold. He was just so cold. It was like, no, baby's dead. You have to come back tomorrow. Go out to the reception, book an appointment to come back tomorrow. And I was just like, Huh? I don't even know what you just said. It's like you're speaking in a different language. I cannot even, I cannot comprehend what you just said to me. Subhanallah. So that was that was a that was a very um, testing time. Very very testing time. I can imagine. I can imagine. Subhanallah. May Allah, you know, only replace it uh, with closeness to Him. Subhanallah. I mean, Allah mm. tests us, you know, and Allah only tests those whom he loves. Um, and that's something we have to hold on to, kind of uh, yeah. take in and, and allow it to enter our hearts to believe that Allah's testing me in this way so that I can gain his love. Mm. Um, Do you know what the, the most difficult uh, thing was, though? SubhanAllah, after yes. my dad passed away, I didn't know how to grieve for a non-Muslim. I didn't know what was allowed. Yeah, and so I, I didn't really, I kind of held back. I didn't. I didn't know, like, how sad am I allowed to be right now, you know? So oh, there, was this, no. there was the Muslim side of me, like, was questioning, how sad am I allowed to be, right? And then there's me as a human being was like, I need to feel really sad right now, you know? So, yeah, yeah that, was, that was the most difficult part of it all. I didn't know if I was allowed to grieve or how much I could grieve or how sad I should feel. And that was very difficult. That was very difficult. Oh, difficult because um, like in 2017, uh, 2017 my mum got diagnosed with terminal cancer uh, and she passed away like nine, nine months later yeah. um, I found that in itself for me to grieve like over my mum really difficult as well because I was thinking like you know like Islamically like, like where, where, where can you kind of go with the grief right um, and then now you're talking about your dad as a non-muslim i can't even imagine like what right. you were going through you know yeah um, it is really difficult because you don't you want to you want to do the right thing islamically right you want to you don't want to step out yeah. of the boundaries of what's allowed islamically but at the same time you're a human being and your heart feels a certain way and you can't do nothing about that you can't say to your heart like stop grieving right stop grieving so it's, it's very 
very difficult. And still to this day, I don't think that I've truly grieved the passing of my father. I kind of, whenever I think about him, I tend to just shut down. I don't, I, this is the first time really that I'm actually speaking openly without holding back, without stopping myself from speaking about it. You know what, like it's an absolute honor and Jazakallah um, I really appreciate it. Yasmin um, big hug sister, subhanAllah, uh, from Noor with love, is saying letting yourself be vulnerable is self-compassion, yes. Siba um, Boxing, I believe it, 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 that's how you pronounce it, uh, past experiences made you the person you are today, yes, subhanAllah. Um, she also said Islam allows you to be human. Uh, from more with love uh, you can grieve of course just only dua you can make it to give them the best of what they earn in this life the prophet mm. وسلم, grieved think of the year of the sadness yeah the year of grief subhanallah very very true yeah. um i think um subhanallah it's good that you mentioned this uh michelle because i think it's so important that as a community there is some sort of like guidance um, in regards to how to grieve over, you know, a non-Muslim relative yeah. and a Muslim relative. Like, I think it needs to be something that should be like in a, as a program Absolutely. or as a course or even like a Gardens of Peace Cemetery. Maybe they could have something running or I don't know. Yeah, but definitely. I don't believe like we do need something because when I was going over mama, I just thought, how does everybody else grieve over their parents or, you know? Um, and, and you kind of just feel so alone at the time. Um, Absolutely, that that is that is a time that I felt alone because I felt like I couldn't really reach out. I felt like even I couldn't even really speak about it because I was worried. I I was so worried that people would be like, "Oh, may Allah grant him Jannah, may Allah grant him the highest place of Jannah," and I would have to say, "Well, actually, he wasn't a Muslim, right?" So it was like. I didn't even want to. I didn't even want to speak about it, let alone reach out to any kind of community to hear anything. But it absolutely needs to be spoken about. We absolutely, as um, for reverts, we need to know, like that it's okay to grieve. You are human. You're a human, and Subhanallah, just because your family happened to be a non-Muslim, that does not mean that you know we're not going to feel sad. We're not going to. We're not going to grieve, right? So yeah, it's a very, it's a very difficult time you were talking just now i remember a sister she was also a revert sister and when her dad passed away like she didn't want anyone to know because he was a non-muslim and the, and i you know she opened up to me she said look the reason i don't want anyone to know is because he's not a muslim and i know like people are going to start talking about that like oh did he revert did he take his shahada uh, did you try to give him da'wah and she, yeah she said, look i'm just i'm trying to give over my dad as, a, as, as my yeah, dad exactly you know? Um, you do. So she actually chose not to talk about it at all. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You do. I remember reaching out to. I think I spoke to one sister, and I can remember, Subhanallah. Looking back now, I realised that she was kind of part of that initial group that I spoke of. But I remember saying to her, like, I don't, I don't know how to feel right now. And her exact words was, "Well, you have to wish him the greetings of hellfire." And I was like. This, this is my dad <laughs> i can't she that's what she said she said whenever if you ever pass his grave you have to wish him the greetings of hellfire and i was like that really got to me because i started to like think is this is this what islam teaches but alhamdulillah i you know i had at the time alhamdulillah i was working in east london masjid in the reception um and so i had a good few sisters around me that would remind me you know that um Allah is the most just and Allah will give uh, Allah will give whoever whoever it is what they deserve to have so 
yeah that was that was yeah exactly that that was a very difficult time and I thought that was the end of my trials I thought that was the biggest trials but they were to continue (laughs) I have to continue I just want to add one more thing here um also Michelle you know uh in the seerah in in the life of prophet uh of Rasul the prophet um, Prophet Muhammad um you know there's there's there was a time when he asked Allah to point him to his mother's grave and this is when he's an old man, like in his 50s, I believe. And Allah showed him like where his mom's grave is. And he went there and he started crying, like proper crying, like to the point like his beard got you know, really drenched. Mm. And, um, and this is his mom who he knows her destination is not going to be Jannah, right? But he mm. still cried over her like right. a son would over their, their parent. And this is Rasulullah sallallahu mm-hmm. alayhi wa sallam. So... Anybody who tells you anything opposite to that, you can only just shrug it off yeah. and just think they're just ignorant. You, you clearly yeah, don't absolutely. know the sunnah, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but this is why we need more education around this thing because that could have gone very, you know, that could have gone really bad for me. I could have thought, well, no, if that's the case, I don't want to be a Muslim anymore. If that's, you know, if that's what I'm supposed to believe, then I don't want to be a Muslim. And I'm sure that has been the case for some people, you know, when they're given wrong advice about what Islam allows and what Islam encourages. I'm sure there have been many people that have, have walked away and said, well, then Islam is not for me. So 100%, we definitely need more, you know, more education around this area. Well, um, okay, so what, after, what, what happened after 2017? So did, you went through a few tests and... Okay, so uh, me and my husband at the time, we was running a charity for for Ghana because my husband's from Ghana. And so we was running a charity. We was building, um, we'd built a madrasa and we'd build like several wells and stuff, all alhamdulillah from the donations of the people. And so in 2018, the beginning of 2018, we decided we was going to go to to Ghana I'd never been me and my husband had been married like eight, 10 years at that time and I'd never met my in-laws and so as a family we traveled to Ghana so um we spent a month there you know we visited all the different places the the wells that had been built and the madrasa and we visited all these places and we done some other charity work and I was like alhamdulillah you know this is the ease after the hardship and I kept hearing people telling me like the ease will come so I thought, Alhamdulillah, the ease is finally coming. I felt really happy. And I thought, when we get back to the UK, I'm going to do all of this great charity work and we're going to do some really big things with our charity. We came back to the UK and because my family hadn't seen my children for a whole month, I let my children go to my mum's and my sister's for a sleepover for the weekend. So on the Sunday night, the night before they were due to come back, my sister called me and she said to me, um, your daughter doesn't want to wear hijab anymore. So I said, okay. Now my daughter's 13 at the time. I said, okay, well, when she comes home, I will speak to her. She said, no, she doesn't, she, she, she doesn't want to speak to you. So I said, well, she's going to have to speak to me. If she doesn't want to wear hijab, you know, she has to, she, we have to have this conversation. I want to know, I want to understand why. Now, my daughter had been wearing hijab since she was like three years old through choice. When she was in nursery, she used to say, like, I want to dress like mummy. It was never forced upon her. That was just how, you know, how she was. So I said to my sister, right, okay, we'll put her on the phone. Let me speak to her. She says she doesn't want to speak to you. I said, no problem. When she comes home tomorrow, I'll talk to her. She says she doesn't want to come home. 
I couldn't even get her on the phone. I could not get to her on the phone, right? She, I'm there and now I'm feeling all of these emotions. I'm feeling angry and I'm feeling frustrated and I'm feeling sad and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I got in the car and I drove to my sister's. My, li my sister lives like a 45 minute drive away. I don't even remember driving there. I was just like all of these thoughts going through my head. And I got there and my daughter just refused to talk to me. She wouldn't, she wouldn't talk to me at all. And subhanAllah, there was a big, like, an argument took place. And my family called the police on me. And the police came and subhanAllah, they, they told me, you have to go home. Your daughter's safe. You have to go home. Subhanallah. So I I went home the following day. I had a phone call um, from the police. They told me they'd informed social services because my daughter had made all of all of these claims that she was being oppressed and you know she was being abused and all of these things. Subhanallah. That I could not even get my head around some of the claims that she was making. I just I couldn't get my head around it. And so there was the social services was involved in my life. I had them coming into my house and subhanAllah, and I, it was such a difficult time. Like they would go through my dirty washing basket to see how dirty my children's clothes was. They would, they would look through my fridge to see how much food I had in my house. They, one of the ladies came into my, into my children's bedroom and sniffed his mattress to see, does it smell of wee? Are you letting him wee in the bed? Like, really degrading subhanallah so i'm dealing with my daughter you know completely not wanting anything to do with me i'm dealing with the social services and subhanallah it was just it was a very very difficult time so she's decided um i got the social services report through and basically it just said like she doesn't want to be a muslim she hasn't prayed for many years but she pretends to pray and she feels oppressed as a Muslim. She doesn't want to be a Muslim. She doesn't want to live with me. And all of this stuff that she'd, she'd made up to get out of the house, basically. And that was like two and a half years ago. And still to this day, she's not back. I think in two and a half years, I've had one conversation, two conversations on Facebook with my daughter. Other than that, I've not, I've not seen her at all. She's living a completely Honestly. different way of life. Really sorry, Michelle. Subhanallah, you had to go through all of that. Um, strong woman, Michelle. <laughs> Is it, subhanallah, like. and it, you know the thing. You know. The most amazing thing, Hannah, is that Subhanallah, I grew from that in a way that I never imagined I would grow. I grew from that, and this is why I really want to share this because at the time when that first happened. I thought that was the end of me. I, I really thought that was the end of me. I was like, you know, I'm a bad mother. I've, I've done something. Even though all the claims that she was making, I knew they weren't true. She wasn't oppressed. She wasn't, you know, abused or any of those things. This was just her way of getting out of the house. She had to say those things to get out. I grew from that. At the time, it was like one of the biggest challenges. I thought it was like going to be the end of me. But then I started to question, like, what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? You know, what mistakes did I make? I, I, I was accountable as well. Like, I took responsibility as well. What mistakes did I make that I can learn from? You know, it wasn't just a case of, oh, let me be angry and blame everybody else. I asked myself, you know, what shortcomings were there? What, what could you have done differently? You know, what could you learn now and apply to the rest of your children? And so, yeah, that was a moment that, 
almost broke me. But at the same time, it was a turning point for me to become, you know, the woman I am now. The woman I am now. And And that's how you see with life. It is like that. Like Allah takes you and then he places you in, in... in a situation that you think there's no way out of this, yeah. this is it. This is gonna break me. I can never go over this. I can't. I can't. I can't see a way out. Mm. And then Allah shows you that there is a way out. And this is yeah, this absolutely. Is, and this is this is your story. This is mm. um, Allah. Like I, Allah, have written this story, and this is your story. And and that's the thing with her story inspired. It's like we all have our story. And it's about yeah. not feeling shame of your story, but rather saying, you know what, this is my story. It was written absolutely. by Allah, and Allah would only give me that which, which is good for me, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, so but that's I'll time, that's time really... to reunite you and your daughter in the future. And, I mean, and, and, I mean, and don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. No, absolutely. Mama. Absolutely. Yeah, that time really taught me about myself. Like, it, it showed, it made me like go within and question myself. I realized that I still carried a lot of arrogance within myself because up until that time I and now I'm a very open person I keep it real I don't try to hide up until that point I was a very arrogant person because I was homeschooling my children right since since my daughter was like four years old I was homeschooling and I can remember I used to Looking back now, I was very arrogant. I would look down on other mums who had issues with their children. If their children were, you know, rebelling or anything like that, I would think, well, if you, that's your fault. You know, you've got them in a mainstream school. What do you expect? If you homeschool them, it wouldn't be that case. Looking back now, I realised the arrogance that I had within me. SubhanAllah, and it was almost as if Allah was showing me, well, look, you homeschooled your children. You've done everything that you thought that, you know, everything that you looked down upon in other people, you've done all of those things, and yet your daughter still ended up where she ended up. And so it was such a humbling experience at the same time. It really kind of put me in my place, and I realise now how desperately I needed that. I really, really needed that. SubhanAllah. That's really deep, Michelle. (laughs) SubhanAllah. You don't because you you assume that it's like it's my doing. My children a certain way because I've homeschooled them, or you know I've taught them well, I've raised them well, and Allah shows us none of that was from you. That was that was my mercy that they're that way, right? That was through my mercy, and I can change that like that. And that was the case. That was the case. Allah showed me that yes, I have an influence on my children, but at the end of the day, their guidance was, was never in my hands, never so beautiful is that you went through that and you came out of it with this kind of mindset that yeah. is just beautiful that's like that. because you know like a lot of people can come out of it and just think i've done it all the right way so yeah. it wasn't worth it all the effort yeah. wasn't worth it I've i did this, i had that. that mindset yeah i did have that mindset first of all it was like well, yeah. well why me right why me i done everything right i I homeschooled my children and we didn't have a TV in our home and my daughter was wearing hijab and, you know, all of these things. I watched who they were friends with. They didn't free me. Why me? I've done everything for you, Allah. Why me? I did have that attitude at first. And then I started to think, like, that's because I think that it was all of those things were because of me. None of it was because of me, you know. And once I was able to look at it differently, once I was able to reframe it and realise, actually, you know, None of that, none of the good things were ever from me. None of it. The, the, the reason my daughter 
or the reason my children were raised as Muslims was only ever by the mercy of Allah and he can take that away at any point. Really deep. I don't know what to say. Um, yeah, so that was that was the um the climax. <laughs> that oh, was the climax of it, subhanAllah. That was a very, oh. very difficult time. So very was that, difficult. Was that two years ago? Was that two years ago? Two and a half years ago, yeah. So that was the beginning, that was um, April, May 2018, so two and a half years ago. And how long did it get you from that, from that time? When did you get to that mindset where you were like, you know what, like, I was, I was arrogant. Like, when did that realisation come? I did think happen or? probably in, probably, I'd say only the start of, or maybe towards the end of last year that I started to see things a little bit differently. I started to, you know, eventually you reach a point where you realize that you can't go through life constantly blaming, right? You, you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't get you the life that you want. You cannot keep blaming everybody else and saying like, why me, why me? And so I started to do more of the things that I like to do as i said if you remember when i was a child i used to sit in my bedroom i used to like i got really creative i used to spend a lot of time withdrawn so i started to do the things that i enjoyed i started journaling again and i started to um start reading again because i always used to love to read and i stopped reading so i started to do more of the things that i love to do and eventually i started to realize that you know what my daughter made her choice that's her choice. Just as me as a child, I went through my own journey. She is going through her own journey as well. And I knew that I, I didn't have to despair because look, I grew up in a, I grew up in the same household that my daughter is now in, right? I grew up with no Islam. I grew up with no religion, but yet Alhamdulillah, Allah guided me to Islam. So it's not about the upbringing. It's not about whether she's got Islam in her life or not. She had Islam in her life for 13 years. That doesn't just get forgotten overnight, right? So I knew that I could still have that hope. I knew that her guidance was still with Allah. Just as it was the fact that she'd chosen to walk away, it was still with Allah. It was never with me to begin with. So I was able to sit back and think, you know what, she's on her own journey and um, just as I've been on my own, she's on her own journey. And I was able, when, when I was able to separate her from me and understand that even though she's my daughter, she's not an extension of me, right? She's not a part of me. She's her own person and she is making her own choices and her choices are not a reflection of me. This is just where she is at in life. She's 13 years old. I had to remember me at 13 years old. And some of the things that I was doing. And so once I got my mind into a place of, right, she's just on her own journey. She's doing her own thing. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, I was able to continue with, with my life and start picking up my life and start getting myself back together again. SubhanAllah. Um, like, honestly, um, you know, like, you hear stories and usually someone will go for, like, one, like, major test um and you kind of get blown away uh by, by the story but with your subhanallah it seems like you had so many tests you've been through you know while while i'm juggling with all these more is coming to my mind you know as well as going through all these things like the the loss of my dad and the miscarriage and the um my daughter leaving islam while i'm going all through this i was also diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 
So I'm juggling all of that at the same time as well. So I'm there, I'm battling my health and I'm battling all of these other things. And subhanAllah, now I can look back and I can say, Alhamdulillah, honestly, Wallahi, Alhamdulillah for it all. Now, it's almost as if anyone that I work with, I can, sh I can not only tell them that they can get through anything, I can show them. I can say, look, I've been through this. The situation doesn't have to be exactly the same, but we can do hard things. We can get through hard times. We can get through challenging situations. And I've, I've lived it, you know. I'm not just telling you, I've lived it, subhanAllah. And so everything that I've been through, everything that I continue to go through, I see it as such a huge blessing. Such a huge blessing. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May I reward you in this world and the next. Um, mm. I was going to ask you, Michelle. Um, actually. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to ask you, what would you advise um, a mother who's going through, like, a, say, say, like, she's going through a situation where her daughter or her son, it, you know, doesn't want to practice Islam? Like, I say that the, in the teenage years, like 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, what would you advise them? Like, what piece of advice would you give them? Say they're watching this. I think the first thing I would say is to is to recognize that the first the first and foremost thing is that Allah is the one who guides, right? So whether you you know whether you stress about it or not, whether you have a complete breakdown, whether you what whatever approach you take, the outcome is always going to be Allah with Allah, right? That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is open up the doors to communication because that is something that I realized that I didn't do with my daughter. I didn't, there was, there was no real communication. I realized now that she felt that she couldn't speak to me. And looking back now, if I'm really honest with myself, she's right. She's right. She, she was not really able to approach me because I would kind of shut her down and just have the mentality of, Oh, if she ever tried to speak to me about anything, it would just be, oh, we're Muslims. We're Muslims, you know, we're Muslims. We don't, we don't think like that. I never really gave her a space to open up. And so I would say really open the doors to communication and just say to your child, like, the choices that you are making right now, even though I may not necessarily uh, agree with the choices that you're making, I respect you know, I respect you as a person and I'm here to hear you out. I want to hear your concerns. I want to, you know, I want to hear what it is that you're struggling with. I want to listen. I want to be able to support you. I think that's really important to open up those doors of communication and just let your child know that even if you don't agree with it, you're still there to hear them out. You're still there as their mother to, to listen to them. Because at the end of the day, whatever choice they make, you want them to be happy, right? You want them to be happy at the end of the day as their mother, regardless of the choices that they make. So, so definitely open up the doors of communication. Just saying, uh, from Noor with Love is saying, you're so brave to be introspective and share this necessary story. Yasmin Agala, that's true reflection to change your perspective, mashallah. From Lord of Love, my grandma who raised me used to say, my job is to teach you about God and on judgment, that's what I'm being judged on. But the decision you make, that's on you. You did your job as a mum. So she that to you, yeah. Michelle. Um, Yasmina yeah. Gala, great advice regarding Allah that's, that guides. Yasmina Gala again, uh, yes, communi communication, subhanAllah. And 
from Noor with Love is saying, if you haven't uh, already, write her a physical letter, post it and tell her these things. Letters are powerful tools. She can carry it with her. Uh, and yes. Sophia92 is saying, uh, beautiful advice, mashallah. Um, we've only got about 20 seconds left on this live. So I'm going to, inshallah, do, uh, come on again. So okay. inshallah, I'll just start the live again. All right. All right. Inshallah. So, um, about your about ms uh, michelle yeah. yeah so um i was getting a lot of headaches i was i was getting like constant migraines and like um what's called kaleidoscope vision you know when you look through the children's kaleidoscope toys and there's just like all of these different colors and things i was getting that constantly really bad migraines and i kept feeling really dizzy and there were a few times that i would faint and so I went to um, the doctors and they referred me to have like a, a scan, um, MRI scan. And subhanAllah, I, that weekend I collapsed again and I ended up in the hospital. And the doctor in the hospital said to me, oh, you know, we've got your results from the scan. Everything's clear. So I don't know what's going on. Like you just maybe take some headache tablets. She was like really dismissive of the problems. And so I was going to leave it at that. But then something told me that, no, you know what, go back to your GP and really push for it. So then the following week, I went back to my GP and he said to me, oh, I've got your results here. And it shows that you've got inflammation in your brain. And, you know, you've got lots of what's called white matter all over your brain. And I need to refer you to, to the neurologist. SubhanAllah. So what results that doctor in the hospital had, I really don't know. But it definitely wasn't mine. SubhanAllah. And so I went to the neurologist at um, the specialist hospital and they done further tests and like checked all my reflexes and everything and some further brain scans. And I was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. This was also in, I think, the end of 2017. And how, how did you take the news, uh, Michelle, at the time? I think at the time it was just like, honestly, like, what else? <laughs> what else? Like, what else do you want to throw at me? Like, anything else right now? You know, I'm here. So, subhanAllah. It was, I just kind of done a lot of research and read up on it. Alhamdulillah, I'm the kind of person I don't really, um, I prefer a much natural approach. I'm very, I'm not one for medication or anything like that. And so I just kind of threw myself straight into, like, how can I help myself? How can I, like, what can I improve about myself? Let me take a look at my diet and, you know, what is my um, physical activity like? So it was kind of just more of a case of how can I help myself right now? I wasn't really scared by the diagnosis at all. Is there a reason why you wasn't scared, Michelle? No, 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 not at all. Because I think at that point, I... This is why I think like now I look at my life like everything fits together like a puzzle. SubhanAllah, I realized I had to experience certain things. Um, like when I, when I got the diagnosis for MS, it was just my mind was like, well, you know, I, I keep having all these difficulties, but yet I keep learning the lessons from them. So it was almost as if I was looking for the lesson straight away in it because I'd experienced other things and other hardships and I'd seen the benefit in it. It was almost as if, okay, well, here's another hardship. 
and my mindset automatically looked for the benefit in the hardship because that's what I'd seen before. You know what? That's actually so beautiful, Michelle, because inshallah, um, that's a reflection of your positive thinking of Allah. Um, and you know, like like this positive, this this whole concept of like having positive thoughts about Allah. Um, like I feel like a lot of people don't have it. You know, um, mm. they either keep it to themselves because, you know, it's not a good Muslim to complain. Um, and you have the opposite where it's like, hey, I'm leaving Islam. Um, well, there, there was a time where I was struggling with that. I'm not going to lie. After my daughter left, like, as I said, for that first, like, year, um, yeah, maybe a year, I was in a very dark place, very dark place. And I did, at one point, I completely stopped praying. I, I did struggle. I was in that mindset of, like, why me? You know, I'd done everything that you asked me to do. And um, why me? Because what happened was when, when my dad passed away, I'd found out because my, my sister's relationship with my father had also broken down. And when, when my father passed away, I'd found, I found out afterwards that my sister had rebuilt up the relationship and he'd, actually, he'd asked for me and they told him that I didn't want to know. SubhanAllah, without, without even asking me, they told him that I didn't want to know. So that really, really hurt me because he died thinking that I didn't want to know him. SubhanAllah. And there was nothing that I could do about that, Hannah. It was like, I can't go to him and say to him, I do, I do want to make up with you, right? So that that really, really hurt me. And for a while, I stopped talking to my family then. But after a few months, I forgave them. And it was for the sake of Allah, I forgave them. So then fast forward to 2018 when they had this big influence on my daughter and I felt like they betrayed me again. It was like, Ya Allah, I, I forgave them last time for you. And now they've done this to me. Like, so it really, it really did knock me. And for a while, I completely stopped praying. I couldn't bring myself to pray. People kept saying to me, make dua for your daughter. I couldn't make dua for my daughter. I couldn't bring myself to raise my hands in dua. For like a whole year after she left, I didn't make one single du'a for her. And people just kept saying to me, remember her in your du'as, make du'a, make du'a. And I was like, I can't even make du'a. I, can't, I just can't, I can't do it. SubhanAllah. So it, it was a very, very difficult time. And I did turn away from Allah for a very long time. Sure, someone is going through this right now. Like they're going through a, a situation and they just can't raise their hand. They can't pray. They, you know, they're having those thoughts that you had. Like, what would you advise them? Even through your tears, even through your tears, call Allah's name and say, Allah, I feel like I cannot turn to you. I, Allah, I don't want to turn to you. Allah knows. Allah knows. He knows if you feel it in your heart, I don't want to. He knows the difference between someone who doesn't want to because they don't believe in him and someone who doesn't want to because they're hurt and they're struggling. So even if throughout your tears and you're sitting there, you could not bring yourself to make dua, just say, Ya Allah, I'm angry right now. I'm angry right now. I can't turn to you. I want to turn to you. Or even I don't want to turn to you. I'm angry. I'm hurt. Allah knows. He knows what you're feeling inside. And he knows the difference between a person that refuses to turn to him because they don't believe in him and a person that refuses to turn to him because they're struggling. He knows. So even if you, even if you can't, you know, raise your uh, hands, even if it's through words of anger and frustration, still call upon him. Still call upon him. Allow his name to be on your tongue. Very true. Very true. 
Um, and you know, just you just sharing it, just sharing this now. Um, to my eyes, subhanAllah, that was really deep. Um, but you know, I remember the hadith, right? And this is the hadith Muslim. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase the hadith just because of lack of time. But a man's going to come on a day of judgment. His, his good deeds and bad deeds are going to get weighed. His bad deeds are going to weigh heavier than his good deeds. So the angels are going to come and basically drag this individual towards the hellfire. Now, as this individual is, is being dragged towards the hellfire, he keeps turning back and looking at Allah. And he's being dragged and he turns back and looks at Allah. So Allah asks him to stop and he asks him, why do you keep turning back? And this man says, oh Allah, I had hope in your mercy. Yeah, oh Allah, I had hope in your mercy. And then what happens? Allah says, okay, take him to Jannah. Right. And it really, it, that's, that's, that's what we need to remember. That's what we need to remember. Sometimes we overcomplicate things and it's like, I can't bring myself to pray the Salah. And we all know as Muslims, Salah is the part of being a Muslim. We know that. We know. But we also have a Lord who wrote for himself that he is the most appreciative and he appreciates the things that we do. He even appreciates the good thoughts. He even appreciates the deeds of the sinner and the disbeliever. SubhanAllah, this is, this is one of his names that he wrote, one of his attributes that he wrote for himself. So why wouldn't he appreciate a, a person who says la ilaha illallah but at the same time is struggling right in that moment because of everything they're faced with why wouldn't he appreciate the fact that they can still say you know ya allah i'm angry right now i'm angry i don't understand even if you say i don't understand what i'm facing right now you're putting me through all these trials and tribulations and i don't get it help me to understand show me why or if you cannot show me why if i can't understand now why make it like soften it in my heart a little bit help me to accept it you know it's okay often we think that we have to have all these fancy arabic du'as we have to memorize them from the books and we forget that we can speak directly to our lord from our heart we can we can say the things that are in our heart because he already knows he already knows there's no point you sitting there fronting like and trying to be trying to you know avoiding avoiding the connection with your lord because you haven't memorized this fancy arabic du'a when you can just say what's in your heart he already knows it anyway and he wants to hear it he just wants to hear it from you so that minimum effort whatever it is just hold on even if it's the very tiniest of effort even if it feels like you're complaining to allah is better than complaining about him to somebody else right even if you're sitting there and you feel like you're complaining to allah it's better than walking away and complaining about him deep and so true um and just let us just go and just to him like that um you know especially in, in our lowest for that um i'm just gonna pick my daughter up because she's just woke up and she's she's coming to join us <laughs> oh, mashallah. Come join us, Maryam. <laughs> Najah saying, oh, wow, sister, that was so deep. Thank you for sharing your deepest trials. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows I needed this reminder. 
um, yes, sorry, before as well, I forgot to say, uh, B underscore, uh, organic underscore store, I would like to hug you. Yasmine Gala, so true. Allah knows what's deep within us. Um, that's really moving, Michelle. Thanks for that beautiful piece of advice for all of us. Uh, B underscore organic underscore, underscore store, Allah Akbar. Um, B underscore organic underscore store, very deep, you make me cry. 92, yes, may Allah reward uh, you for being so open and raw with us. Your strength through it all has moved me, subhanAllah. May Allah increase you in strength and guide us all. Ameen. Duas are the real ones, yes, subhanAllah. Um, Sophia 92, may he accept it all from us. You only complain to Allah as He alone has the ability to change things. Yes, subhanAllah. And Qawaisi, in uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's dua at Ta'if, he said something similar like, I only complain to you, Allah. Yes, he did. Right. That's the thing. We think that complaining is a negative thing, but if we are complaining to Allah, it's like we're, we're transferring our pain, we're taking it from us, and we're handing it to Him, right? Because at the end of the day, He is the one that can change our situations. So it's not complaining like, oh, you're complaining, you know, maybe how women complain about their husbands or, you know, it's not that kind of complaint, right? It's, it's the complaint of this is how I'm feeling and I want it to change. I don't want to feel like this. And you're, you're directing that to that complaint to the only one who can change it. Who's the only one who can change your situation. Sometimes. SubhanAllah. Um, um, when did you start homeschooling? Let's move on to a different topic. How, um, when did you start homeschooling? And 2009. 2009. Um, that was like an overnight decision. That was something, it was a very hasty decision. What happened was I, my daughter was in nursery and um, we'd just moved back to London from Essex and my daughter was in nursery and I went to collect her. It was her first day of nursery. And when I got to the playground, she was locked out in the playground under the slide. And I was so angry. Like she's under the slide crying. And this was around um, 2.30 in the afternoon. And the play the playtime finished at 12.30. So she'd been out there like two hours. SubhanAllah. And when I went in to complain to the the nursery there was just like really dismissive oh it was an accident you know and then there were some other issues that I had with the school and I was just like I'm gonna take them out there, there was a big homeschooling community in East London and I was just like I'm gonna take them out until I find something better and I decided to homeschool and that was in 2009 and I'm still going I haven't I haven't stopped <laughs> so what what started out as like a temporary decision is kind of just is just stuck do you like it? Would you encourage obviously, other mums to do it? I would encourage other mothers to think it through <laughs> and not make a hasty decision like I did. It's not for everybody, you know. It's, you do get some homeschooling mums that are like, oh, yeah, it's the only way. As with all things, you know, it's for some, it's not for others. So it really depends on everybody's lifestyle and um, how much... It does take up a lot of time, I'll be honest. I don't... I, I spend a lot of my, what I would call free time covered in glitter and glue and spending time like researching because I have different age children. Um, so I'm spending a lot of time researching the different levels and it's not easy. It's not easy. I would say do your research. 
as with anything, do your research and, um, you know, reach out to the different home education communities. There's a lot on Facebook. There's a lot on Instagram. And yeah, and I would say also work with, if you decide to homeschool, I would say work with the education department. A lot of people are afraid of the education department, like they're almost the enemy. But I would say work with them, you know, um, show them that you're confident in what you're doing and just really take the support that they offer because they're not, they're not out to get you. There's some, there's some education officers that are a bit funny about home educating because they want children in school. But yeah, just do your research. Do your research and just see if it's for you. You can always, the thing is, if you remove your children from school, you can always put them back, right? So it's not, it's not like set in stone. If it doesn't work, you can always put your children back in school. So I would say do the research. And if you really, if you believe that it will work for you, your children are happy, then absolutely go for it. There's, there's so much freedom in homeschooling. That's the beautiful thing. There's so much how freedom. Finding, how are you finding it now with COVID? Like, I, to be honest with you I'm one of those people that COVID hasn't really affected at all because we spend a lot of time like in our own little bubble anyway um the only thing that obviously was affected was the the clubs that like the football training and the, the clubs that my children would attend but other than that we we pretty much do our own thing anyway and so we was already in our own little mini lockdown, <laughs> our own little bubble before the before the lockdown came in place. So it hasn't it hasn't really okay. affected us. Okay. okay. Comments. Uh, Aisha Ibrahim uh, is saying yes. Homeschooling is not for everyone. Um, Siva boxing schools trying to change kids to Generation COVID. Um, yes, means Agala. Yes, Defo, do your research. And I like your advice about doing what works for you. Yeah, I definitely you have agree. To. With that. You have to. Yeah. You have to do what works for you because even within homeschooling, there's so many different approaches, right? So what may work for one family won't work for another family. And this is something that I teach in my coaching. This is what makes a lot of women sad and fed up and feeling like they're failing because we watch what everybody else is doing and we think okay well they seem to be really good at it they seem to be happy let me just apply what they're doing to our life and we will be happy too and when that doesn't work they feel like they're failing but the truth is they have their own path that was written for them and you have your own path that was written for you so what works for one person doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily going to work for you you have to find your own way as with anything, whether it's, you know, becoming a new Muslim or homeschooling or being a parent, we have to find our own way. It's okay to look at what other people are doing through the eyes of curiosity. Like, would that work? What could I take from their, like their example? Would this work for me? But when we look through the eyes of comparison, that's when we're setting ourselves up for like huge disappointment and really setting ourselves up to fail. SubhanAllah what they say comparison is a thief of joy you know absolutely um, absolutely so, yeah um, but yeah definitely find your own way okay. Um, okay let's move on now to your coaching program um uh, i've seen like i think that's how i first came across your page your old page okay um and i've just seen you much like only like flourish and grow um, mm. And I've just been, you know, kind of following, like, you know, what you're doing now as well. And I'd love for you to kind of just share with everybody, like, you know, like what it's about, what do you do, you know. Okay, so I'm, I am a women's empowerment coach and I work with Muslim mums. 
and um, Muslim mums who feel like they don't understand themselves. They feel like they've lost themselves in motherhood. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they enjoy. You know, all they know is what their kids enjoy. And they feel like they've really lost themselves. And they've tried to create change and they get so far and they find themselves back at the, you know, square one. And they feel like they're just going around in circles. So I've created a program, um, a 12 module program that helps Muslim mums to rediscover themselves, who they are at the core, before the world told them who they should be, before they stepped into the role of mother, before they stepped into the role of wife, who they are to really discover themselves. Because when we know who we are, when we know the things that we enjoy, and when, when we are happy within ourselves, we can be better mothers. We can step into that role of motherhood more fully. And we can, you know, us knowing who we are and us feeling joy within ourselves, that automatically goes into our children. Our children pick up on these things. So if we're not content within ourselves, if we're feeling miserable, even if we put on a front, in, you know, and try and give our children everything that they want, they're going to pick up on it. They're going to pick up on it. Absolutely. So I help mothers to discover who they are you know, and let go of any limiting beliefs and conditioned beliefs from childhood. I take it right back to their own childhood. It's not just a case of, um, okay, if you do this, if you take these steps, you'll be able to be happier. It's not like change on a behavioral level. It's, um, you know, real mindset shifts and real self-awareness and really understanding who they are at the core. And that came about through my own struggles. And this is why I say Alhamdulillah. Because all of this came about through my own struggles, subhanAllah. And everything that I've been through set me up for, you know, where I am now, exactly where I am now. Is it one-to-one, I think, was it a group? Um, I do one-to-one. I offer one-to-one sessions and I also offer a group um, program. The group program, I stick to just 10 women. I don't have it any bigger than 10 women, so it's still a nice intimate setting. But I know that even that, some women like prefer it even more intimate, like one-on-one. So I do offer one-on-one sessions. But um, yeah, it's both. There's both. So it's a 12-module program and it's split into like three categories. The first one is about really understanding yourself and um, why you think the way you think, why you know, why you feel the way you feel, why you behave the way you feel, really understanding how these things came about. Okay. Um, and eventually we go through the program and then we start what I call writing a new life story, writing the life that you want to be living by design rather than just going through life on autopilot or just default where everybody's told you that you should be doing or how you should be thinking or, you know, you should be behaving like this. You begin yeah. to write your life by design. Yeah, I think this panel like, is absolutely amazing and beautiful because I feel like after, like, obviously when you're not a mum, you don't really understand these things. So when I became a mum and I just started to just hear like what other mums are saying or what everybody's kind of expecting of me as a mum, I saw that whenever I kind of forgot myself and was going more towards like what other people are saying, yeah. um, I lost myself even more. Absolutely. Like, but when I was like, you know what? No, like Allah, like gave me my son or my daughter because he knows I'm the, I'm right, the best exactly. mum for, for this. So when I got like got my mindset to understanding, I think that's when I only just flourished as a mum, and I just yeah. genuinely really enjoyed being a mum. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because that's the thing we don't enjoy pressure. it. 
Yeah, we don't enjoy it. And we think there's something wrong with us, right? We yeah. think, well, I should be, we start feeling guilty and we start feeling ashamed. Like Allah's given me all of these blessings. I should be really happy, but I'm not. And we think that it's something wrong with us. But subhanAllah, how can we enjoy any of Allah's bounties? How can we enjoy anything that Allah has given us if we internally are not happy with ourselves? Well, how can we enjoy anything else, right? If we don't even enjoy who we are, if we don't even know who we are, we can't enjoy anything else. Definitely. Um, some of the comments. Yasmin um, saying, Mashallah, it's good you were able to influence him. Unfortunately, not everyone will that be easily influenced. Oh, I think she's uh, replying back to a comment. Sorry, I didn't see that. But Siva Boxing is saying, can I ask where was your husband when you stopped praying, Michelle? Um, my, husband, my husband was around. Um, hold on, I'm just going to move the camera up a bit because I'm just going to feed my little ones. I'm just going to move the camera up. If that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. One second. This is real life. And this is something that I teach in my programs as well to the sisters. Life doesn't stop when we have children. And it doesn't mean that we cannot still be successful or do things. We just have to work with our current, um, we're in a current, like, it's a current chapter of our life, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. One second. Sorry, Hannah. Um... Siba Boxing is saying, my ex stopped praying twice and both times with my support, she was back on it within days. Yeah, sorry. So I was going to answer the question. My husband was here. Alhamdulillah, all I can say about my husband is that he's a very patient man. And he, he knew at the time that if he had pushed me and been like, you have to pray, you have to pray, you have to pray, that would have pushed me the complete other way. So my husband would remind me my husband would ask me, have you prayed today? Or he would just get up and pray in front of me, right? Like, so where maybe I would be sitting up in my room and he was downstairs. Instead of praying downstairs, he would come up to the bedroom and he would just pray in front of me. You know, so he never, he never, it was never a case of he pushed me and told me, you have to pray, you have to pray. Because he knew at the time, that's not why I, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been interested in that. Yeah, he, he, he knew exactly. Yeah. He knew how to do it to get you to yeah. like to start praying. Yeah, for some yeah. people, um, yeah, everyone's different, isn't it? Everyone's absolutely, uh, absolutely. Some people need that tough love approach, like you have to. But him knowing my character, he knows that that would have been a complete wrong move. You know, boxing is saying not push but support. Inshallah. Yeah, I think, I think what Michelle's saying is that her husband that's 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 his support, right? That's how he's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he was very good. Yeah, mashallah. Um, okay, uh, Aisha Khala, lovely, very useful advice. Jazakallah khair. Thank you for sharing your inspirational, really touching story. Um, B underscore, organic underscore store. Uh, may Allah reward and bless him. Ameen. Aisha Ibrahim. SubhanAllah, amazing. May Allah reward him abundantly. Such wisdom. Yeah, SubhanAllah. That is wisdom. Ameen. Um, okay, inshallah. Um, so, Michelle, if somebody wanted to join your program, like, how could they get more information or join your program? Jump into my DMs. <laughs> Jump right into my DMs. Come <laughs> and follow me at Awaken Minds. Jump into my DMs. I love, to, I love to have conversations. I'm a very open person, and there's no, there's no pushing, right? Just 
come into my DMs. We can set up a, a completely free discovery call. You can come on a discovery call. It lasts like half hour, 45 minutes. We can just have a chat. It's a very informal chat. Bring your babies along. If you have a baby, I'll bring mine. And we'll just have a chat and we'll just, you know, discuss your struggles, what you're currently facing. And I'll be honest with you and let you know if I feel my program's helpful for you. And we'll take it from there. Because I get a lot of mums messaging me like, oh, I want to have a, a discovery call with you, but I've got no one to take care of my baby. And I'm like, bring them along, you know, I'll bring mine and we can have a baby play date while we're having a, while have, we're doing a discovery call. So yeah, sure. just jump into my DMs. Yeah, you know, because it's so true. I do hear a lot of mums saying that, oh, I can't do this because of my children. I can't yeah. do that because of my children. So it's so beautiful that we, you know, you have this, uh, you know, program. Yeah, no, absolutely not. not. Reason, you know. Absolutely not. My, my daughter, when um, the last session, I'm currently like halfway through my current intake of ladies. And on my last session, my baby, my husband had to bring her in at the end because she was crying. She joined in the session. She was there on the camera like <laughs> everybody saw her. So you know one of the one of the one of the limiting beliefs that we have as mothers is that i can't do anything until my children are older you know i'm stuck i can't that's not the case you just have to find what works for you what's right for you and my program is open to children bring your children along let them join in and you know we'll work around it we'll work around our children uh, yes, yeah, Bella. bring the babies along. Uh, Yasmin, you know, <laughs> Yasmin, when you were on last week's Apanalove, my son, he saw Yasmin and he started singing um, Noah, the Noah's Ark song because he attended Yasmin's event years ago and he started singing the Noah's Ark song, Subhanallah. He remembered. Amazing. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, yes, Minigala said, Mashallah, your story is so inspirational. So many gems that we can learn from. May Allah bless you always. Amen. 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 Mashallah. Um, okay, just a kind of like a summary question. Um, if, you ha if you had to pick one person who has been like a consistent uh, support in your life, who's kind of. Um, and because of this support, it's kind of helped you become resilient and determined. Um, who is that person and why? I would say looking back now, I haven't realized it over the years, but looking back now, I would say it's my husband in the last 12 years. Definitely my husband. I wouldn't have known it at the time. I would have said that my husband is like my enemy at times. <laughs> but looking back now, I realized that he's actually been my biggest fan. He may not have voiced Aww. it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he may not have voiced it, but in his, in his own, what people tell me, in his own African man style, he has been my biggest <laughs> supporter, right? It was like, Aww, yeah, yeah, so oh, I won't tell him that. Many go, eh? I was going to say, um, you know, it's so beautiful you say that because um, I feel like a lot of sisters do go through that, like, you know, like in, in their marriage. Um, Inshallah, how would you feel if we do like a part two and you talk a bit more oh, about that? Oh, that's fine. I'd love yeah. it. I've got so yeah. much to talk about. Yasmina Gala's like, haha, yes, yes, yes. There's guardian sisters coming along here. Um, yeah. Najahira trying such a beautiful soul, reminding my sister-in-law. Yes, you do, Michelle. You're right on my sister-in-law as well. And oh. <laughs> um, uh, like, oh my gosh, reminds me of my husband. Uh, never voices it. Yes, we don't voice it. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> 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 um, okay, last uh, roundup question. What three pieces of advice would you give to your younger self? Okay, so the first piece of advice I would give is 
you're never going to be able to please all of the people all of the time. So just do what makes you happy, right? Because if you go through life trying to please the people, you're going to become very disappointed because you cannot please all of the people all of, all of the time. The second piece of advice I would give is you are enough. You do not have to earn your worth. Your worth is God-given. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything. You are enough. Standard. That's it. The full stop right there. The third piece of advice I would give is enjoy life. Enjoy life. Life should be fun. Yes. We don't enjoy life enough. We're constantly worrying and we're constantly looking to the next moment, right? Enjoy life. Enjoy the moment that you're in. Even down to like eating. We, we could be eating breakfast and we're worrying about what we're going to cook for dinner, right? Yes. Enjoy yeah. life in that moment savor it when you're eating your food experience all the flavors use all your senses and enjoy it subhanallah we spend so much time stressing so just enjoy life enjoy every single moment enjoy every single moment because we never know when that moment is going to turn into something else my life has been like a roller coaster up and down up and down up and down so just you know really enjoy it hold on when it's difficult and when it's easy have fun have have a lot of fun with it MashaAllah. for that. Um, before we go, have we got any questions for um, our dearest Michelle? Any questions for her? And underscore Mary is saying words of wisdom. Yasmina um, Gala, you are enough. Alhamdulillah. Um, Saying help, uh, train. Yes, since start practicing, I just never know how to just enjoy life. Yeah, I feel like that's that's a free move with most of us. Um, and underscore Mary couldn't agree more. Subhanallah, and Najah, I'm still struggling to this day. Yeah, I think it will be a struggle if if you haven't uh, haven't practiced it for a number of years. Yeah, um, it is. It's not. It's not easy. It takes practice, yeah, and it takes. You know, one thing I would say is celebrate the small wins, right? So if you go through your day and you enjoy one hour of your day and the rest you struggle, celebrate that one hour instead of thinking, oh, you know, well, I was all right for a little while, but then I flopped afterwards, I lost it. Celebrate that one hour and say, you know what, for that hour, I really enjoyed life. Alhamdulillah, I really enjoyed it. Because what we focus on grows. And if we're focusing on all the things that we didn't enjoy and the moments we feel like we struggled, that's what we're going to see more of. So celebrate the small wins. If in one day you, you happen to enjoy one hour of your day, alhamdulillah, celebrate that one hour and you will begin to see more of that in your day. It's, it's beautiful you mentioned that because, you know, like when you take that time to kind of celebrate that, that one hour, that 10 minutes of joy, like, you're going to enjoy only kind of um, kind of it takes you towards gratitude. So yeah, you'll be grateful. And then Allah, what does he say? Like Allah, yeah, like he loves us. Yeah. It's going to increase, right? So yeah. it's, it can, it's, there's nothing but gain, subhanAllah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but we do. We, we tend to focus on the, um, the things that we haven't done rather than the things that we have done. So yeah. if you start out your day with like a really positive mindset and you get, you know, to 11 o'clock in the morning and you find that you're starting to slip you're starting to feel a little bit negative rather than just focus on oh like I'm, I'm i lost it halfway through the day just celebrate the fact that for that morning up until 11 o'clock you was in a really good mood right 
because then you'll find that that will turn things around for you as well. So just focus in on focus, get really clear on the things that you are doing and celebrate every single win, no matter how small it is. Um, we'll end it here. Um, I'll do Michelle for coming on, coming on today and doing two lives. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll accept it from you, make you a heavy um, scale of good deeds and preserve you and your family and make you beacons um, of light. Um, again, like I'm really honored and it means a lot that you came here today and shared your story um, because it does take like a level of courage to come on here and, and share your story. But I'm sure that, you know, every person who, you know, will listen to your story and watch this, um, it will only kind of inspire them uh, and, and, and show them, you know what, you're not the only one, you know, going through it. We're all, you know, in some way or another uh, on the same boat. Barakallah, Fiki. We'll end it here, inshallah. So, inshallah, this is the end of episode three. Episode four will be next week. And information in regards to that will be shared on Monday on, the, on, on our IG page. The YouTube link for this uh, episode three, inshallah, will be shared sometime next week. I don't want to give a day because I can't seem to keep to the, to the day. But it will be next week, inshallah, hopefully before episode four uh, goes live. Um, just reading uh, last bits of comments. Jazakallah khair from Yasmina Gala. Najah, thank you for your gems. Om Safiya 92. Jazakallah khair, Michelle. And Nadine underscore Anne under, uh, underscore Mary. Jazakallah khair. Just got the ending, but beautiful advice and reminders. Um, so you will be able to access the IGTV as soon as this uh, live, inshallah, finishes. Uh, but the YouTube link, as I said, sometime next week. Um, so we end it here, inshallah. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed my time with you all. <laughs> We definitely enjoyed uh, your company. Um, alhamdulillah, let's end it here, inshallah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept what's been said and what's been heard and to make evidence for us and not against us on a day of judgment. Um, mm -hmm. Take care of yourselves, everybody. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.